KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. A recent Supreme Court decision caught our eye. It deals with juveniles being sentenced to life without parole. And it's a decision that really takes the court in a completely different direction than it had been tracking. We wanted to dig into this, so we caught up with Dr. Jill McCorkle. She is a professor of sociology and criminology at Villanova University. She is also the founding director of the Philadelphia Justice Project for Women and Girls. Important conversation. Give a listen. So to start, just kind of kind of talk to me like we're starting from ground zero here. What is it that the Supreme Court decided ruled with regards to juvenile offenders and life without parole? So the Jones case in Jones versus Mississippi involved a boy who was 15 years old who had had up until that point a really chaotic and violent childhood. And he actually had been, as a result of his stepfather's violence and um, his mother uh, suffered from alcoholism and some mental health problems. He'd actually just recently moved and was in the care and custody of his grandparents. So he'd moved from Florida to Mississippi. And about 28 days after his 15th birthday, he gets into an argument with his uh, grandfather over the fact that his grandfather had discovered he let his girlfriend sleep over. That becomes a physical altercation that ends in him stabbing his grandfather to death. In Mississippi at the time, this is 2004, uh, Mississippi had a law that said if you're convicted of first-degree murder, it's a mandatory life in prison without possibility of parole. And so a, a jury heard this case, decided that he was guilty of murder, and, and there was no you know, discretion in the, in the sentence here. So the minute that the jury found him guilty of murder, he was automatically sentenced to life without possibility of parole, which a number of people who are serving that sentence refer to it as death by incarceration because you die in prison. In the intervening years, the Supreme Court had decided in 2012 that sentences like that, where juveniles are sentenced to death by incarceration, are unconstitutional on the premise that juvenile offenders don't have the same level of culpability that adults do when it comes to criminal offending. And there's a whole lot of science that goes into that. But, you know, juveniles have a difficult time anticipating the consequences of their behavior. They don't have the same level of impulse control. They're, you know, more influenced by friends and peer pressure. They don't have the same kind of control over their social and physical environments. And the juvenile brain is just underdeveloped. So for all of these reasons, the court made what's called a juvenile life without possibility of parole sentence unconstitutional, illegal. Okay. So now we get Jones, who is serving this sentence and who's a number of years into the sentence, requesting to be resentenced on the premise that he was sentenced to something that is now illegal. And Mississippi appellate courts agreed with him based on their interpretation of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling. And so when he went back for resentencing, it went to the trial judge. And the trial judge at this point looked over the case again and said, no, I think you still deserve to spend the rest of your life in prison. He appealed that on all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in the case that the court just decided, what the court said is, well, as long as the judge, when he was reviewing your sentence, knew that he, the judge, had the option of sentencing you to something less than life in prison, if he still sentenced you to life in prison, it's fine. 
So really what the court is saying is a mandatory life without possibility of parole sentence is illegal for juveniles. However, it doesn't mean that you have to take anything into consideration or that there are any guidelines for making the determination of whether or not to sentence a juvenile to that, as long as the judge has other possibilities open to him. So by comparison, uh, Pennsylvania changed its sentencing laws after the 2012 Supreme Court decision. And so now in Pennsylvania, if you're convicted of first degree murder and you're under the age of 18, your minimum sentence would be 35 years to life. So it's still possible to get a life sentence. It's just that that life sentence can't be mandatory. A judge has to be able to recommend something less than that. And so that's really what the court was asked to look at here. And, and they decided this case as narrowly as they possibly could. As long as the judge had other options available to him, the judge doesn't have to offer any explanation as to why he is still sentencing this person to life without possibility of parole. And to your point, the 2012 decision, this is really up until this new 6-3 conservative majority, the court had been tracking away from this is the what we're seeing what you just described almost a complete 180 in the the direction a u-turn yeah it's certainly a reversal of course and and we really had seen the court moving very steadily in one very consistent direction beginning in 2005 so in 2005 the court makes a ruling on whether or not you can sentence juveniles to the death penalty and the court's answer to that is no we think that is a violation of the 8th amendment that it's cruel and unusual punishment for all the reasons that I just talked about, that juveniles are fundamentally different. So we get that ruling in 2005 that takes the death penalty off the table for juveniles. And then fast forward to 2012, there were states that were sentencing juveniles to life without possibility of parole for non-homicidal crimes. So, so it could be a raft of uh, either violent crimes or even nonviolent crimes. The court in, 20, in 2010 took that off the table and said, you can't sentence a juvenile to life without the possibility of parole for any kind of non-homicidal crime. And then in 2012, we get the Miller decision, which goes a step further, that takes homicidal crimes off, except in very rare circumstances. So uh, the court in that, in that case said, listen, you know, there's too many juveniles that are serving life without possibility of parole sentences. We think that the science is really clear here in terms of the differences between the juvenile and the adult brain with respect to differences in culpability and everything else. And so for that reason, we won't entirely take it off the table in case there are a really small number of juveniles who the court uses the language of, you know, absolutely incur encourageable. But we really want to see juveniles coming off of that sentence in, in great number. We, we only are leaving it there for the rarest of rare persons. And that decision gets reaffirmed in 2016 in Montgomery versus Louisiana. And so what we see in this case is, as you say, a 180 or, or a really you know, sharp turn away from this progression. And in, instead, really the language of Brett Kavanaugh is writing for the majority in this case. And, and really his language is, well, we have seen a reduction in the number of juveniles who are serving this sentence. And, you know, we think it's fine to just sort of leave this to, to the discretion of states and to individual justices. What are the ripple effects of this? What do you, how does this manifest itself going forward? So right now, so in the wake of the 2012 decision in Miller and the 2016 decision in Montgomery, 
there are a majority of states passed laws that said we we actually are going to remove juvenile life without possibility of parole or JLWAP off the table entirely. So you have some states that are just looking at the court's decision and saying, you know what, we're not going to we're not going to sort of tinker in this uh, down this path at all. We're just going to remove it. There are states that, of course, still have it on the books. And so what we're going to see going forward as a result of the court's most recent decision is that there's going to be great disparities in in terms of who's serving this sentence and who isn't. And that is really just going to make existing disparities when we looked at who was serving it in the past is disproportionately children who have been abused, physically abused, sexually abused. It is disproportionately children of color. It's disproportionately children who are economically disadvantaged. And it's disproportionately children in certain regions of the U.S. And so we're just going to see a sort of acceleration of those kind of factors that are going to differentiate who serves it and who doesn't. Kind of getting broader from this, I think for the most part, we as an American society are finally kind of taking hard looks at the justice system and, and sentencing. And by no means is their agreement, but I think a majority of people think things have been too hard, like things need re-examining. That seems almost in contrast to a decision like this from the court. Do you anticipate as other types of sentencings make their way to the court, we're going to kind of have this situation where the court is going in a direction that's in, in opposite of what the majority of the people think? Uh, that's a great question. And and it's exactly one of the questions that I was thinking at when I was reading, thinking of when I was reading through this case, because in a lot of cases along these lines, when it comes to deciding whether a sentence is too punitive or out of step with a, a sort of historical or political moment, the court often looks at a variety of social science uh, research, including public opinion surveys, what different states are doing, what different countries are doing, and then the social science evidence on you know, the ability of people to rehabilitate and become productive members of society. And that's entirely absent in this decision. So you have a decision that seems very much out of step with the American public. And in fact, we know that criminal justice reform is one of the precious few issues today where you can get agreement across the aisle between people on the right and people on the left and Republicans and Democrats. So it it is actually really striking to me that the court would not cite some public opinion data on uh, on precisely that, on the issue of punitive sentencing and and, uh, juvenile culpability and, and the possibilities of juvenile reform. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very concerned that this is a court that is sort of willfully out of step with the American public and also willfully out of step with social science. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.